Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ONC Mindfulness in the Workplace podcast series. Each of these sessions explores a different aspect of mindfulness in various workplace contexts, as well as key themes that we believe will be relevant to you. I'm Leonie Schell, teacher and trainer at the University of Oxford Mindfulness Center. And today we are going to be discussing what team mindfulness is and how to bring it to organizations. My guest today is Silke Ruprecht. She's head of research and heads up the development of a team mindfulness offering at Hawaris. She also teaches mindfulness research and evaluation at the Oxford Mindfulness Center. And she's a certified MBSR teacher. Welcome, Silke. Thank you so much for having me, Leonie. So Silke, in, in the past, mindfulness training was mostly targeted at individuals. Now we're seeing an interesting trend. There's mindfulness training on the rise for teams. What do you think are the drivers behind this trend? Yeah, so I think there are potentially a number of drivers. One is that organizations might just be ripe for it. Example of this is that I recently talked to a leader who took part in a workplace mindfulness training, and she wanted to introduce a mindful minute at the beginning of each meeting. And she realized that it's really just difficult to do if you're the only person having completed such a training. And as soon as she had one other person, one ally in the team, she felt it was much more easy, much easier to convince the whole team to take part in this little experiment. So this uh, little anecdote tells us perhaps that when bringing mindfulness practices into a work context, it might make sense to take the team or at least part of the team into focus to, for them to be on board with this. And this is really a significant shift because for a lot of us, um, mindfulness practice was really just a personal thing perhaps even something that you practiced in hiding and didn't talk about much. So seeing this shift of interest in team mindfulness is perhaps a sign that, that organizations are ready to embed it in a more systemic way. And do you think the shift might also be related to the rise of teamwork in organizations? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think that's potentially another driver of what we are seeing here. We're all doing much more teamwork than a decade ago and organizational success largely depends on innovation and that is much more likely to happen in teams that work well with each other. And um, I don't know what your experience has been working in teams, Leonie, but in my experience, the way teams work with each other can differ quite a lot. So you can have a good experience where you feel you're really flourishing within that team and thriving, but you can also have experiences where you're in a team with your best intentions, but somehow it doesn't really flow well and these are the kind of teams that are potentially not creating the best outcomes. And this question was also at the core of a study that Google ran a couple of years ago, a very influential study called Aristotle. And what they really try to understand within their already high-performing context was what are predictors of high-performance teams at Google? And um, they tried a, a number of things. They were really interested in personality factors, background, intelligence, um, methods of working with each other. And what they found is that really the individual variables had no impact 
for example, doesn't really matter where you studied. It doesn't really matter how old you are, how long you've been in the team. Even your personality doesn't, didn't really have any significant impact on team performance, which is what team development has focused on for decades. What's your personality? What's my personality? How can we best work with each other? What made a difference was how safe people felt in the team, how much they trusted each other, how much they felt that they could show up as a human person <laughs> with emotions, with potentially like personal issues. How, how, trust, how trustworthy is this team to share that my wife is going through a very difficult phase right now, for example. And um, this construct is uh, very known in research. It's called psychological safety. And it has actually shown up in, in a number of meta-analyses as the key predictor of team success. And it's also a factor that's notoriously really hard to build in teams. Like how are you going to create that, that you trust me in a team setting? And Amy Edmondson, uh, which is the researcher who came up with the term, she famously said that psychological safety can be built in years and destroyed in seconds. So I think um, to come back with your question, can team mindfulness be, or this interest in team mindfulness be related to that? I think that there are some uh, people that believe that mindfulness could be a potential lever to build psychological safety, which is so key for team performance. And that might give rise to this interest. And I also think that the rise in team mindfulness interests could also be related to the pandemic. So what's been happening just very recently in the last two years in, in organizations. Could you give us an example of what you mean? We are in the middle of a well-being crisis right now. And um, obviously, this is not just individual crises in organizations, but it also affects teams as well. People are feeling burned out. There's one study that's been, that was run by a Boston Consulting Group that found that almost half of employees feel somewhat burned out, just a huge, huge number. And there's even a larger amount that is languishing. So this is a state that organizational psychologist Adam Grant calls this meh feeling of just not feeling juicy, you're not really being unwell, but you're also not really well. So, and I think we've probably all experienced that at some stage in the past two years. And it's not an insignificant amount of people for that it is lingering around. And you can easily imagine how this impacts your personal life quality, but you can also imagine how this impacts the way you work in a team, what kind of motivation, engagement you bring to a team setting. So I do think that, yeah, addressing this well-being crisis and also the relation of this to performance and engagement is potentially something that is another driver of this interest as well. And are there any specific challenges for teams related to the pandemic? Yes. So the way I see it is that most teams are in a storming phase right now. So in a storming phase, if you remember this old team building model, um, it, it usually happens at the beginning of teamwork when, when a new team starts working uh, together. It comes right before norming when you, have, when you build your norms. But I do feel like most teams are now back in a storming phase because we haven't really had the time yet to check in how happy everybody is with the way we work now. We just were kind of thrown in this virtual work setting and now maybe in like a hybrid flexible work setting where part of us are working from home, part of us are working in the office and the majority is actually gonna do both uh, to some extent. 
but there's not really an agreement in the teams that I've spoken to lately um, about how are we integrating these different views on that. What is the what is the right view, so to say? Like, should we all come back to the office? Should we all want to come back to the office? There's still a lot of people that hold on to this idea. Let's just all go back to normal. And then there's all the other people that say, for me, that doesn't really work. And how do you combine this? So agreeing on that, agreeing on new ways of collaborating uh, with each other. I think that's something that many teams are struggling with right now. Bosch has a nice slogan for their employees uh, that, that tries to address it. They said, don't just return to work, reinvent it. And I think that reinventing of teamwork can either happen consciously with mindfulness or these new norms will just unconsciously build without your doing anything. For example, staying present and curious in a virtual meeting is much more difficult than if you're in a real life setting. So it requires that teams have um, skillful planning, but it also requires that teams have some shared agreements how meetings are held and what happens when meetings, for example, don't seem to be serving the right goals. So there's a lot of uh, talking that has to be done in a team, how we're going to do that. Is there, an, is there an agreement that multitasking is not okay, for example? And what do people do if they feel this urge to, to do write an email? Should they be just quickly saying it? So having space for that is, is something that teams need to discuss going forward. Or take feeling connected. Feeling connected to others in the team is really a prerequisite for building psychological safety. But it's also something that we've seen in numerous studies is one of the downsides of the pandemic. People feel much less connected to their team members and they have fewer contacts with a fewer amount of people. If you're not really working with a person, you're not going to check in with that person anymore like you would for a coffee in your office. So creating that, like thinking about how can we recreate connection in a team, really recreate, not just signing up for virtual coffee or uh, something like that, that didn't work for many teams in the end is, is something that teams need to discuss. So um, becoming aware of what's happening, how much has changed, being curious about it. I think that could be an act of bringing mindfulness to uh, the situation that teams are in right now. And honestly, I'm very amazed talking to teams, how little time they took to speak about these changes and about this like how of collaboration. So this kind of open reflection, kindness, also with an understanding of the science behind it. So we, what we do know about how teamwork could work in a remote setting or hybrid setting, uh, I think this is what, what's necessary right now to make that shift. However, that could look very different for each organization. Could you say a little bit more about how team mindfulness training may be different for different organizations? Yeah, so in some organizations, you may be able to teach a standard workplace mindfulness training for a whole team. So, for example, some years ago, I worked with the school teachers team, and uh, they had that shared goal to prevent more burnout and staff shortages. And with this shared goal in mind, it worked quite well to offer this training in this work context. And the teachers even supported each other in the sessions and also between the sessions to, to for example, practice together. But for other teams, the shared mindfulness practice may not be their main interest. So they may be interested in talking about how to be conscious and mindful on a team level, but they may not want to sit down and practice with their colleagues 
So in, in settings like this, it may be more useful to talk about mindful team behaviors, mindful habits, mindful norms. So it's more the informal practices that are in the foreground. And you may even cause some opposition if you'd come up with, let's do a 20-minute body scan together now, when people really want to talk about how they're going to get this hybrid working situation to work for their team. Exactly. And so how might you deal with that when team members do not want to do formal mindfulness practices? You mentioned mindful habits and norms. That sounds really interesting. Can you give us a few examples? Yes. So you probably have all experienced some of the smaller informal habits, such as writing a gratitude journal and uh, things like that, that can really have a big impact in the long run. And I think similarly for teams, Teams can also discuss like what kind of habits would be doing us good. This is something that interestingly teams feel like is kind of difficult to achieve. Like just trying something new in our team uh, can be can be feel like a, a big task. I remember that like one team leader talked to me for a while that they that he felt that it's just really hard to change anything. There's whenever you try to change anything, there are team members that blocked any changes. And we're talking about how they tried that diff like 10 years ago and, and lots of like emotions were bubbling up. I think when things like that happen, teams can quickly become a demotivating space to be and it might be a place where new team members might be prone to quit as well. But really, um, this is something that could be investigated similarly to how we in investigate a personal emotion in mindfulness training, especially if it's something that you observe popping up regularly in the team. So a habit could be, and one that the team has to agree upon, that one team member calls for a process check in these kind of situations. For example, that person could say, I notice there's some emotions in the room right now. Do we want to stop here and make some space to reflect on that? First of all, let's define what the emotion is called. Is it like team annoyance, the team sadness, is it team overwhelm? What's important here is that it's not about that person, right? It's an emotion that affects the whole team. So it's in the team. It's not about blaming anybody or fixing anybody because that person is doing something wrong. It's really about lifting it up to a team level and becoming aware of it and suggesting by doing that, that it has a good reason to be here. Emotions are always signals. If they show up a couple of times, we know that from individual working with emotions, there must be something that they want to tell us. And that could become a team norm. Like, how do we deal with those kind of emotions? What are they telling us, perhaps, about how we do things around here? What can we learn from that emotion? And maybe this is a bit like of an example that is a bit advanced uh, for some teams. Teams can also smart, start with very small habits. So, for example, we know about research that in a team meeting, in a virtual team meeting, or in a hybrid team meeting, it's much more effective when we see each other. So turning your video off in a meeting is really something that is ripe with multitasking. People are not as present. We can decide in a team just to turn our video on for every Monday meeting so we can all connect with each other. This can be just such a small change in a team, but one that builds efficacy and trust and also trust in the team's ability to change together, to learn and grow together. So to come out of this feeling of, oh, we're kind of stuck. There's nothing we really can do here together. So getting into that learning zone, as Amy Edmondson calls it, this is like a key objective for teams and becoming reflective 
and able to adapt to things. I think that those are core qualities that teams need to develop and practicing small habit changes is a way to get there. So that's really helpful. Thank you, Silicon. And what you said got me interested in this concept of team mindfulness um, and what can emerge at the team level. Would you say that team mindfulness is simply an aggregation of individual people's mindfulness or is it something else? Is there something bigger? Yes. Similarly to this example I gave earlier is like individual variables are typically not the same as team level variables. So an example I can give is if you enter a new team and you've probably had this experience entering a couple of teams in your life, you automatically often feel if this is a space where you can be yourself or not, where you can show yourself, where you grow, where you can be your best self, or is this going to a place where you're going to be a quiet self or a silent self, perhaps a self-silencing, self-judging self. So depending on the context, we automatically act in different ways and it's less related to your personality, but more related to what's already there on the team level. There have also been a couple of researchers that try to investigate this further and really understand how is individual mindfulness linked to team mindfulness. But perhaps let's maybe start with a definition of team mindfulness. And there's uh, one by Ling Tao Yu and Mary Selma Brun that I like, and that is also being used in research going forward because they also developed a scale to measure it. So they call it, define team mindfulness as um, the ability to interact in allowing a non-judgmental way. So it's again about interaction, like how are we interacting here, the how skills, the communicating skills, and, um, and how does that feel for people? And they also found that teams that were more mindful on a team level, they had also high levels of task friction and low levels of relationship conflict. So this I may have to explain a little bit. So why is there more task friction? This is actually a really, really good thing. You want task friction in your team. If you really want to harness collective intelligence in teams, you want everybody to contribute, to challenge each other, to honestly look for the best solution, not the solution that pleases the team lead the most, for example. What you have to be aware of that this kind of challenging each other comes at a high personal risk. So if you think about yourself, how often have you been in a situation where you really feel you can challenge everybody? That's quite rare. It's not a normal state to be in, in a team or anywhere in life, really. There's some good reasons not to do it. You may be socially excluded. You may get fired or even silenced. We have a lot of whistleblowers in companies that experienced just that. And we all also know a couple of companies that lost a lot of money or even ceased to exist because they created a culture of fear where people didn't dare to speak up anymore for very good reasons. So this kind of safety to cause task friction is very hard to create. So what these researchers found is that with mindfulness on a team level, people seem to feel safe enough to share what they really think. And this sharing doesn't lead to what we call in research social undermining. So this is just a fancy way of saying that people speak badly about each other's back. And this is something if you if you're just if you're assuming that people will do that, it will probably cause you not to speak up the next time because it it, it uh, challenges your social capital in this team. To get to the best solution in a team, you want to build task friction while reducing the likelihood for it to spill over in relationship conflicts. 
So when you challenge each other, you want to feel safe enough and you want to be sure that your ideas are valued and yet you won't cause any misdeeds in the team. And that's what this research found. That's really interesting. To me, it sounds like perhaps a goal then of team mindfulness training is or should be improved relationships. Whereas we might say that a goal of individual training, mindfulness training, often is around well-being. Is that your experience? What's the difference between you know, the goals of team mindfulness training then and individual mindfulness training? Yeah, that's a really interesting thought that uh, the team mindfulness trainings are more about relationship goals, interaction, ways of interacting with each other. I think that's definitely something we also see in the approaches that are there in the training field right now. And that if the companies offer individual mindfulness trainings, naturally, it's typically about um, well-being, supporting well-being and stress reduction. So I, d I do think that's that's a good point. And I'm thinking of um, Megan Reitzes and uh, Michael Chaskelson research um, of Ashridge Halt. And they developed a mindfulness training for teams and talked about it in a recent HBR article. So I, I don't know much about how the training actually looks, but uh, they focus on just that, right? So first they talk about in a team, how can we create an allowing of what happens in a in the present moment and an acceptance of that experience. So how can we avoid blame pretty much? And the second aspect that they focus on is getting curious about it. So getting curious about how the team functions, um, what's happening in the team, not just taking it for granted, this is how we do it. And the third is meta-awareness. So this ability to take the team's perspective and not just your own. In a sense, this is really talking about how do we relate with each other here in this setting and bringing some mindfulness skills into this discussion. So I think all of us mindfulness teachers can imagine, you know, know how to offer individual mindfulness training. I wonder if you can say a little bit more about how you might deliver team mindfulness training. What's the format? What's the delivery style? And perhaps what might be the new skills that mindfulness teachers may need to offer that type of training? So I can only share the experiences that I have with offering team mindfulness related practices in, in, in the setting. So we, at Aurora's, we created a, a training, a team mindfulness training called Team Mind. And we have quite a lot of experience now with offering that in, in large-scale team settings. So we, we typically work with up to 10 teams at the same time with this training in a, in a virtual format. But the way we approach it is that we identified core team behaviors that teams need in order to function and perform well, but also support individual well-being. So, for example, one habit area that we explored is establishing positivity and appreciation in a team. This is something that is not so easily felt in a home office or a hybrid work environment. There's less banter, less just sharing stories, less jokes. It's all about effectiveness and turn your camera on and turn your camera off. So um, teams that can establish small habits, like ending a meeting with something that they appreciate about a team, this is just some like small team hack, right? Uh, really changes the mood in the team, really shifts it. It boosts feelings of gratitude and connection. So this is an example of just a small 
habit that you can share with people that is imbued with a lot of things that we also do in individual mindfulness practice, but lifts it to a team level in a way that is uh, easily understandable for team members. Why are we doing that right now? In these kind of trainings, our experience is that just inviting people to practice meditation can cause irritation. So they really need to understand how the individual practice relates to the team context. It needs to be relevant to them to, to engage in it. So for example, teams could establish a personal practice of counting the breath and the trainer could bridge this experience to the topic of staying present in meetings and talking about how quickly you lose your focus, how this is um, something you can discuss in a team, but also something that you can train on a personal level to just notice how your mind wanders away and bring it back. So I think this is really a skill that uh, trainers need if they want to work with teams and address the team level issues. Another example is mindful feedback giving. So you can talk a little bit about mindful communication and then have them practice giving each other feedback in that way, potentially having a third person observe it and giving the feedback giver a feedback about how mindful that, that feedback was given. So you really take the practice that you already know and think about ways to adapt that to a team level. Yeah. So might there be any context, Silke, in which team mindfulness training might not be something that you want to offer to a client? Multiple ideas I have about this question. I think the key question to ask yourself is, is this actually a real team? <laughs> so, I mean, we distinguish in research between groups and teams. And a real team is one where everybody really contributes to the outcome, where there's clear roles and responsibilities. So it's not like a boardroom level team, for example, where everybody has different agendas and wants to achieve different goals potentially so that's really an important question to clarify is the way we collaborate is the how of our interaction is that actually important for the goal that we want to achieve here so i think that would be one level and the other thing is if there's really a, a need for team development on a more like deeper level if there's some really big issues with the team lead or if there's some long-running conflicts in the team this might feel to participants like, oh, we just couldn't put like a little Band-Aid on it with these cute little habits. And it might not be the right thing for a team to engage in if there's some really looming larger issues. Could a pre-course assessment be part of deciding whether team mindfulness training is right for a client or not? Um, yes, absolutely. I do think that companies or teams can think about assessing things like how is the individual stress level? How is team level performance right now? How do people cope with um, the change to hybrid work? Um, so like a mix of individual level and team level variables would be really great to assess to see where the main needs are right now. Is it more on individual you know, well-being boosts or is it more on specific team challenges that people face, or perhaps even a mixture of those that could help with making that judgment. We offer a, a team scan, we call it, where teams can self-assess their, their team mindfulness behaviors. So this is a self-assessed, self-developed tool that specifically measures the team behaviors that relate to these habit areas like positivity or like having presence in the meetings. It's actually quite an interesting tool for teams to to use 
because it really shows that the more the teams engage in these kind of habits, the lower are the stress scores in the teams and also the higher are the performance outcomes in the teams. So we have um, sufficient data to, to now really look into that. And um, that could also help to understand. So where are the most, you know, what, what are the kind of habit areas that we struggle with most? Is it like connection? Is it positivity? Is it psychological safety? What is it that we really need in our team? Yeah, and to measure um, success after a training, potentially a bit more tricky. So the behavior approach doesn't really work here because it might not be inclusive enough. So teams might engage in different kinds of behaviors that we're not listing, for example. So in, in our example, we used a perceived improvement measure and we, we added some benchmarks for how much team agreement we do need um, in order for that improvement to count. So for example, if 75% of team members thought that an area improved, we counted as improved. <laughs> so that's, that's one way to assess success of a training. And for example, we found that like over 90% of teams do see substantial improvements using these kind of benchmarks. But it would definitely be great to, to do more research in this area. There's very little out there that, that really robustly investigates these kind of trainings. And they're also just very new. So it, it makes sense for it to be a, an emerging area of interest. And nowadays, a lot of mindfulness training is being delivered virtually. Do you also deliver your team trainings virtually? And, and if so, how is that different um, in terms of delivery, but also what are you finding in terms of benefits of doing it in this way or, and drawbacks? Yeah, so because this the specific training is also about how to collaborate in a hybrid setting, so we kind of have to do it in a, in a digital way because that's, that's what it addresses mostly. So we have quite some experience with delivering trainers, trainings in a, in a live but digital way. What I do know from the research is that this is a key distinction to make is whether a training is synchronous or asynchronously delivered. So there is some evidence from a scientist called Ruth Woolivers um, who compared the effects of a live delivery with app delivery. And she found that when people have the choice to learn together in a synchronous way, they much rather prefer that to um, accessing content on a learning platform or accessing content in an app. So this is, there's really not a lot of substantial evidence, but this one was very clear. They even found that these online trainer-led practices were really what drived reductions in stress and not the app-based practices. So I think that's some key takeaway that online trainings work, but they work best if there's still a live trainer present. And if uh, people can ask questions, if they can experience themselves as a group and harness, you know, the group effects, the positive social interaction, and uh, rather than being at home alone and accessing some videos. Another thing to consider is, do we just take our live training and put it in a digital way or do we have to make some changes? So we have quite a lot of research now that looked into online delivery in university settings. And they found that really shorter sessions make more sense. Engaging content is important. Breakout sessions to digest things are important. So we have that rule, for example, that every 10 minutes, there's some kind of interaction. So this could be a breakout session. This could be an exercise. This could be just like type in a chat, what do you think about this and this question? But some kind of, you know, wake up call because <laughs> otherwise you you will lose people in the setting and that's definitely a different skill set 
to what trainers would need in a, in a live setting. And we're coming to the end of the podcast soon, but can you just give us perhaps a helicopter view of some of the outcomes that you have achieved with team mindfulness training or you think can be achieved? There's sadly very little data to back any of this up at this stage. I think the outcomes that we have achieved um, from like a research perspective right now is to understand what team mindfulness is and how it is distinct to individual mindfulness and how the two are in relation. I think that's one, one key takeaway potentially. There is a team level variable that's not the same as just aggregate individual mindfulness practice. What we also have achieved is a study that I haven't talked about yet is that um, a study we did uh, together with Boston Consulting Group some years ago, where we worked with teams just with individual mindfulness practice in the team and could see that after an eight-week course, um, the collective intelligence of these teams improved by, I think it was 13%. And this is quite a stark increase, can be measured objectively. The teams have to engage in activities like doing a complex Lego task. And uh, it shows that there's some promise in quotation marks to just engage in mindfulness with a team setting. It's also going to have an impact on the team, even if you don't talk about the team level at all. And I think the third outcome that I'm taking away from the work that we are doing right now is that the teams really need the space to reflect on how do we regain focus? How do we feel more joy together? How do we reflect? <laughs> how do we build psychological safety in this new setting? How are we all feeling about these changes? And this is something that teams do not usually take the time to discuss. And if mindfulness trainers feel in a space to facilitate these kind of you know, discussions, I think that's something that a lot of teams are, are looking for right now and are needing right now. And potentially, finally, anecdotal evidence that mindfulness really can enhance team performance from the sports world. There's a yoga teacher, Patrick Broom, who famously coached the German soccer team in mindfulness and yoga practices prior to them winning the championship. There's also this NBA league coach, Phil Jackson, and he introduced mindfulness to basketball champions like Michael Jordan and then went on to win multiple championships in a team. So while this is anecdotal, I think there's some, something interesting in here, like working with mindfulness in a team setting. It's really just the beginning that we are seeing right now, but there are potentials that, that need more research and more experience. And I hope we can all uh, learn much more about that in the future. And if you could give one piece of advice to people on, on this Mindfulness in the Workplace course, people wishing to teach mindfulness in the workplace, on how they can enter this exciting field, how they can start to bring team mindfulness to organizations, what would your advice be? Just start with somewhere where you really feel familiar, like start in your own company or in your old field and, um, and, and start offering what you know and maybe sprinkle in some team aspects that you feel comfortable with. This can be mindful team meeting. This can be uh, the process check, like working with emotions on a group level or whatever it can be. Um, I think that would be also a way, like start with what you know. I think that's something I would always give as an, as an advice to mindfulness trainers. Thank you very much, Silke, for your time today and for this very interesting and insightful talk uh, for sharing this information. It's been really rich and I've learned a lot. I'm sure the audience has too. 